everyone. Welcome back to the Minute Women podcast. My name is Grace. And I'm Linnea. Happy 30th episode, Linnea. Da, 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 da. Da, da, da. This is our 30th episode. That's wild. We'd like to thank our haters. <laughs> We'd like to thank all of our supporters. Yes. We'd like to thank our Instagram fans, the uh, the contacts we've made off Twitter. Our moms. Uh, our moms. Your you dad. Too much. Your dad for sharing our Facebook posts. Yeah. My I was dad. with my parents this weekend and my sister, who's 11 years old, and I was like, well, my mom listens to every episode, but she does it when oh. she's like cleaning the house or something, so she doesn't it's really like listen. listen. I was like, yeah, let's listen to an episode. I was like, we'll listen to the newest episode, because in my head it was really funny. We do curse a lot in that one. And I particularly swore a lot. And <laughs> so then I put on the Jackie Robinson one, and it was so funny, because my stepdad, he does not swear. He solely says, like, he doesn't even say God. He only says gosh. <laughs> and it's funny because he loves sports, especially baseball, and he played for a long time. And I knew that he would listen to the Jackie Robinson episode. Mm-hmm. So I think in the back of my mind, because there's this one point where I go, oh, my gosh, gosh. or something. <laughs> like, I didn't say, I didn't say, or no, it was, it was holy crap, I think. Oh. I was like, holy crap. And, like, I could have said, like, holy you know, and, uh, and, words. and it was funny cause we're in the car and we're listening to it and I was like, holy. And then everybody like <laughs> stopped. Everyone clutches And then I was pearls. fine. And Peyton goes, you knew daddy was going to listen to this episode, didn't you? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. Uh, but yeah, 30 episodes. That's wild. There's been ups and downs and laughter and tears. And, uh, I'm, I can't wait for the next 30. I know. It's crazy to think that we've gone through. 30 of them already yeah and like to think where we started out and where we are now the passage of time oh things happening a, a, a quarantine lot. a yeah, like global when pandemic when we started this podcast there was no like pandemic or quarantine or anything like that and I'm really if anything I'm just really proud that we managed to sustain this through all of that oh yeah regardless of you know circumstances so exactly that means a lot it means a lot that people kept listening even though like there were some sound quality issues and like technical things that we had to kind of go through thank you Um, so much for listening thank you so much we appreciate it more than you know yeah yeah but let's roll into our 30th episode let's roll Do, 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 do. Grace just did some like finger lasers. Finger it was really nice. <laughs> it was really nice. So for our thirtieth episode, I like we have to do a big one. We're gonna do Louis Riel. Mm, okay, I'm excited. Which is the most traumatizing one oh, to watch? Traumatic. Let me tell you. I don't know. For those of you who haven't seen it, uh, Louis Riel. Actually, we will do a live watch of this. Oh, we, we will. We will yeah. do a live watch of this um, this week when the episode comes out because um it's dramatic uh <laughs> it's, it's he, dramatic it's traumatic <laughs> it's traumatic it is uh as a child having this on like during normal television i know uh yeah it's definitely let's get into it because yeah. i don't i don't know i think i talked about this in another podcast episode like i don't know much about louis riel um, aside from the fact that, like, what I know from a, like, social studies textbook in, like, junior high. Like, it's not... Yeah, and I don't think the minute does a great job of conveying... Because no. it's just his execution. Right. So you see him get hanged. And, yeah. And you see his final kind of prayer, essentially, to, his, to God, which does convey, like, a reality that he was a very religious person. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. at the end, there's a voiceover that says, you know, he was, like, a hero of the Métis people. But yeah. you don't know why. It doesn't no. really talk about, like, why did they need a hero? And, like, well, and why did like, they need someone to defend their that's rights? That's what I know. I know that he was, like, French and Métis, and he was hung. And he, well, hanged. Hanged. <laughs> hanged. <laughs> hanged. Is that how we say it? Yes. So we don't say someone is hung because that means... um Oh, he's got large Something penis. else. <laughs> yeah. We say someone is hanged. When you are killed by hanging, you are hanged. You are hanged. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> now that that's just, all just clear. Just sort that out. Because that's, that's not what we're going to get into okay. today. <laughs> Lurel, let me tell you, he was hanged. hanged. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, okay. um, so Louis Riel was born on October 22nd, 1844 in the Red River Settlement, which is now the basis of like Manitoba 
Okay. Um, and I believe I mean, it's near we're covering, modern We're covering Winnipeg. the prairie ones recently. I know. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Saudi and now Louis Riel, Winnipeg. Yep. Or, uh, yeah, yeah. Manitoba. You said Manitoba. Manitoba. These yeah. are like, yeah, the quintessential prairie ones. I love it. Ones. So he's to the eldest of fans. 11 children. Um, of Did his, you say uh, 11? Yeah, he's mm. the oldest of 11. They're Catholics. Mm. That's what they do. Mm. They have like a bunch of kids. But of course he's the oldest. Like when it's big families like that, it's always like the oldest or the youngest. Yeah, you know? those middle ones, I bet he doesn't, like I bet he didn't even know their names. No, <laughs> he's just like Tommy and Tommy and Tommy and Tommy and Tommy and Louie and, and me. And Louie and me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, do you listen to the podcast, Ma Bim Bam? Or like My no. Brother, My Brother and Me? It'd no. be like my brother, 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 and me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so his father's name is Louis, and his mother's name is Julie. And the Riel family um, was very close knit, devoutly religious, and very affectionate. So they're a very close family. Very affectionate. So Louis was a Métis person, his heritage being largely French and indigenous. And uh, in particular, he inherited his paternal grandmother's um, indigenous heritage. She was Franco-Chippewa Métis. Okay. Louis was exposed to politics at a very early age. His father, Louis Sr., was an educated man who had obtained land on the Red River, where he gained a position of influence in the Métis community. Okay. In 1849, Louis organized the Métis community, so his father Mm -hmm. organized them to help Pierre Guimont Sawyer, or Sayer, uh, who was a Métis charged with violating the Hudson's Bay Company's trade monopoly. Sayer was released, uh, an action which resulted in the end of that monopoly. And so as a child, young Louis heard a lot about his father's political engagements and how he was a leader in the community. That's cool. Good so, role models. Good role models. Affectionate family, good role models. This is all Present sounding, dad. Yeah, <laughs> present father. The dad's around. This is sounding positive. <laughs> Things are sounding good. So Louis began attending Catholic school in St. Boniface, where he attracted the attention of the Bishop Alexandre Antonin Taché, who thought he had lots of potential. Hmm. The bishop was the really- The bishop thinks he has potential. This kid is going places. Yeah. The bishop was like, you know what? We need these bright Métis boys like Louis to be trained for the priesthood. So maybe it's not the attention you want, but like, he's like- you could be a priest. Yeah. And Louis's like, great, I'd love to be a priest. I'm Catholic. What more could I want? <laughs> what more could I want other than like a wife and family or whatever? Yeah, like 80 kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Dasha arranged to send Louis and three others to Canada in 1858. So Canada right now would refer to what is now Ontario and Quebec. Um, the nation of Canada does in, not exist. He's in Manitoba at this time. So right now that's all called Rupert's Land. Right. It's owned by the Hudson's Bay Company. So, But he's in North America. He is in North America, okay. yeah. So when he's 13 years old, he goes to the Petit Seminaire de Montréal, and Riel showed himself to be intelligent and studious as well as very charming. Um, but on oh, a bad things. day, Louis oh. was moody, proud, and irritable. Which I love because it's just like, it's like a Taurus on a good day is intelligent, <laughs> studious, and charming, but on a bad day can be moody, proud, and irritable. Yeah. That's... This could be cause for concern. <laughs> is he a Taurus? I don't know. Uh, he's born in October, so no. He'd be like Capricorn? Libra? Oh, Libra. Sag- Sagittarius, maybe? No, not Sagittarius. I'm not good at the, I'm not good at the signs. I don't know. Call in, let us know. Yeah, let I us think he's know. a cusp sign though, because he's Ooh. on the twenty second. So oh, that yeah. would be that like would be the change. <laughs> You're so cuspy. <laughs> cuspy. I think he's Libra. I'm cuspy, so like I know. Louriel is such a Libra. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that we've brought up uh I think astrology twice now in two episodes. Did astrology. we talk about in the last Episode, maybe? Uh, I think it was cut. I think our wonderful <laughs> producer cut that bit out. He might Don't cut, cut it this time, He might Mark. cut this one. You never know. <laughs> uh, so in February of 1864, word reached Louis that his father had passed away. Oh. So this was a real shock to the 20-year-old. Louis had always been a bit of an introvert and probably suffered from some kind of depression, but now he seemed to have lost all confidence, especially in his qualifications for the priesthood, and he withdrew from college in March of the following year without graduating. Oh, no. So he's taking the loss of his father very hard. Sad. Which is, like, I feel like that's not a perspective you get very much in history. No, and it's quite... people are like, ah, death, it happens. It's quite normal. And I mean, 20, that's a, like, I mean, at that time, that's, like, a lot of time with your dad. That's a lifetime. That's, yeah, it's like like you've 
become an adult You're under a your man. father. Yeah. Um, that's pretty big. Like, what, dad's probably, like, in his 40s? Like, that's, that's decent yeah, at I that time. <laughs> so I guess it was just a shock. And so yeah. he's not taking it very well. Sad. So he leaves in hope of supporting his family in Red River, whom um, his father had left kind of impoverished and in debt. So oh. the family's not in great financial circumstances. Oh, no. And so Louis became a clerk in a Montreal law firm. Okay. Um, but the subtleties of law bored and annoyed Louis, and he decided in all likelihood in 1866 to return to Red River. So we don't know when exactly he decided he was going to go back, but like probably in 1866. Okay. Um, and then he also probably worked a number of odd jobs in Chicago and St. Paul, Minnesota, before he eventually arrived in St. Boniface in July of 1868. And St. Boniface is in... So that would be... I think it's near the the border, but it's in what would today be Manitoba. Okay. Um, but it's all like Rupert's Land or the American territories. Right. So he... His story is very, like, he crosses the border a lot, and sometimes it's just for casual things, like, oh, I'm going to work odd jobs in Chicago. Yeah. Whatever. So the Red River that Louis left behind some 10 years earlier was not the one he returned to. Okay. As a child, Red River was an isolated society of English-speaking biracial peoples, Scottish settlers, and French-speaking Roman Catholic Métis. The Métis were the largest group and developed a strong sense of national identity based on their blend of French and indigenous cultures. For the most part, the Métis preferred hunting buffalo to farming. The annual hunts were superbly organized and disciplined affairs under the control of a democratically elected leaders, and the Métis' adherence to the hunt was dramatically reflected in their quasi-military social organization. Hmm. So this is the community that Louis is familiar with, but when he comes back, he finds that there's now these deep-seated religious adversions that had become notable to the settlement so now there's like a lot of uncertainty and volatile political climate yeah essentially the protestants and the catholics are not getting along not at all and that's causing a lot of such is history such is history (laughs) the settlement which was part of rupert's land and held by the hudson's bay company was still administered by a governor and the council of the assiniboine established by the hudson's bay company The need for a new constitutional arrangement was acknowledged, but the issue was far from settled. So people are now like, okay, we're the current governmental structure that we have in place isn't good enough Mm -hmm. and it's not reflecting what the people need. Mm -hmm. And I think it's partly just due to the population influx. Like it's easier to manage a really small community, but it's growing a lot. And rapidly changing. Yeah, Yeah. just like 10 years. Yeah. Moreover, the old inhabitants now recognized that their settlement was still isolated. It was the object of expansionist aspirations on the part of the United States and Canada. So they're also recognizing, like, if we don't establish ourselves, then Canada or the United States, one of them, is just going to consume our community. Yeah. Indeed, during Louis' absence, the settlement had grown to almost 12,000 people, and the village of Winnipeg had also emerged, largely populated by Canadians and a handful of Americans. Right. Um, In fact, what Louis found at Red River in July of 1868 was an Anglo-Protestant Ontario community hostile to Roman Catholicism and the social and economic values of the Métis. Mm. So he left when the Métis were really the dominant culture, and now he's come back. And while I don't think they're necessarily outnumbered, they're not in positions of power. Yeah, he's feeling a little bit ostracized in that community. Yeah. Yeah. So the figurehead of this new Red River was a guy by the name of Dr. John Christian Schultz, who was an Ontario-born physician, trader, and land speculator. That's a, that's a wide variety <laughs> of interests. When no one's checking, you yeah. can say whatever, you can be whatever you want. <laughs> He's a doctor. I'm a doctor. Air and a trader and a land speculator. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and his goal is to annex uh, Red River into Canada. Mm. So he wants like Rupert's Land generally to be purchased by Canada and become part of Canada. Right. So annexation had been something he had been promoting personally right. since the 1850s. So even right. before the Dominion of Canada, he's like, we should annex into those two. We should do this. Those two places, yeah. Lower and Upper Canada, because they have responsible government. That would be great. We should be a part of it. Yeah. 
Shortly after Louis returned to the West, it became known that Prime Minister Sir John A. Macdonald, fearing the Minnesota annexationists, so there's a group from Minnesota, uh, Minnesota that's like, we could have it. They in have a Minnesota. name. Minnesota. In Minnesota. Minnesota. Would you like... Uh, <laughs> they're Minnesota not German. Vikings. They're not Swedish. <laughs> it's kind of a Swedish accent. New man on the Minnesota, Minnesota Vikings. I can't hear the name Minnesota Vikings anymore without... Little Lizzo. With a little bit of Lizzo God, in my I love heart. Her. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Who knew on the Louis Real episode we'd talk about Lizzo? It was inevitable. Yeah. This is now a Lizzo podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a math podcast. I, it's not a science podcast. No. It's not even a Heritage Minute podcast anymore. It's a Lizzo podcast. It's a Lizzo podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't hate that. I'm fine <laughs> with that change. <laughs> so John A. McDonald is fearing that the Minnesota annexationists... And he was, so he's negotiating with the Hudson's Bay Company to transfer Rupert's land um, into Canada, ignoring the population at Red River and the Council of the Assiniboine. Mm, so these okay. two parties are like, we do not want that. We don't want to be part of Canada. Um, and he was just like, that's funny. That's cute. That's a good joke. You think you have rights. <laughs> <laughs> silly, silly, silly. You silly goose. Um, so concurrently, the prairies are suffering from the grasshopper plague of 1867 and 1868, Ooh. which, oh, so funny. Okay. It's not, it's not funny. It's actually horrible. But like, um, if you want to learn more about the grasshopper plague, go yeah. listen to the dollop. They do an episode on it. I'm trying to think what that episode is called, but it, it's kind of like a recent episode. And essentially it's just like... When they talk about the Bible of, like, a plague of locusts, yeah. and it's happening right now again in parts of Africa, yeah. I believe in Ethiopia, it's like that. Like, it happened in the prairies. So it's just this cloud of grasshoppers oh, or locusts my God. that just land and eat everything. Like it's, Why? Because that's what they're <laughs> evolutionarily designed to do. And so that sounds awful. The Canadian government had proposed like providing relief by financing the building of like a road from upper Fort Gary, which is now Winnipeg to mm-hmm. um, Lake of the Woods, which is just <laughs> the best town, <laughs> Lake of the Woods. <laughs> but, you know, under the veil of this is providing just benevolent relief to these starving people, these kinds of public works of public infrastructure also help with annexation right. because you can transport people there. Yep. The project was poorly planned, however, particularly that none of the organizers spoke French. Whereas uh. the majority <laughs> of people around you are speaking oh, French. Rather than bringing some French speakers to communicate with the locals, no, Charles, no, no, they would no. never do that. Charles Mayer, the paymaster of the project, wrote very critically of the Métis in Ontario newspaper articles and encouraged Ontario migration westward. So he's like, you know, instead of talking to you, <laughs> what if I really passive aggressively <laughs> got a bunch of people from Ontario to move here instead so I don't have to talk to you? I think that's a great plan. <laughs> Poor communication. I hate that guy. We were having a conversation earlier about how sometimes we can both be very psycho. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think Charles Mayer is doing the exact same thing. We're, uh, we're crazy girls. We make up ideas in our heads. <laughs> I can convince myself of anything. Oh, 100%. Especially someone hating me. 100%. I often think, I often think Grace is mad at me. And in reality, I don't know if Grace has ever really been mad at me. No, I'll get <laughs> random texts that are just like, are you upset with me? I'm like, no. No. <laughs> I don't want you to think that. I'm crazy. No. You don't want to be my girlfriend. But I'm the exact same way. And like Charles Mayer is doing the same thing. Rather than just like working on communication, he's deciding to just be like, but what if I move thousands of people instead? Yeah. So the work crew was increasingly hostile to the local Métis as well. So like, it's just like following the example naturally. Yeah, it's just like, oh, well, the paymaster is being really rude and doesn't like the Métis. We don't have to like them either. Exactly. Um, for example, Thomas Scott, uh, an Irishman and a fervent Orangeman, was reckless, stubborn, and contemptuous to the Métis, and he joined the work crew in the summer of 1869. Sounds like a jerk. Total jerk. Yeah. Um, and Orangemen are, like, these really... Um, it's like a fraternal lodge of, yeah, they're very, um, xenophobic to like immigrants. Oh, I don't like that. Yeah. They're not, that's a bad club. Great. Let's disband that (laughs) club. At St. Vitale, 
Louis was initially content to wait for his time to come into the public discourse. So mm-hmm. he's like, I'm just going to buy my time. Mm-hmm. However, when he read Mayer's articles, Louis defended the Métis against this unjust criticism in a reply published in Le Nouveau Monde, which is a Montreal newspaper, in February of 1869. The news of the world? The new world? The new Yeah, the, the new, new world. world. Yeah. He attended and spoke at a meeting called on the 19th of July by well-established leaders of the Métis community, such as Pascal Breland and William Deese, to discuss growing Métis fears about the course of events. Though the meeting underlined the need for concert, uh, concerted action, nothing was planned at the time. Mm-hmm. But there's there's rumblings. Something's, something's, something's going to go down. Something's coming. Something's happening. It's coming, kids. Métis suspicions grew in July of 1869 when William McDougall, one of the leaders of the Clear Grits, so they were a political party, ordered a survey of the Red River settlement. So now, you know, it's not even acquired by Canada yet, but the Canadian Parliament's like, let's let's do a survey. Let's just, like, check it out. (laughs) Let's figure out who's living there and, like, find out everything about the land. Let's send some people down there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The head of the survey party was Colonel John Stoughton Dennis. Or Denny. Stoughton. 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 <laughs> That's a name. And he was given specific instructions to respect the river lots of the settlers. So okay. it's like, you know, that's their land. Yeah. Nevertheless. Don't mess with um, it. Oh, oh, what did he do? Well, nevertheless, he received a very cool reception when he arrived at oh, okay. Upper Fort Gary and St. Boniface after he arrived on the 20th of August. And what is a cool reception? Yeah. Well, it's... I am assuming they, that they gave him a bit of a cold shoulder because say, they don't trust him. Did they talk to him or did they like throw their fresh produce at him? Like how cold <laughs> are we talking? Rotten produce. Yeah, rotten <laughs> produce. Um, I think it's just very like chilled. Like they just, they're not being cooperative. Right. But this kind of cold shoulder brings him into even closer association with Dr. Schultz. Right. Who then increases his fears of the Métis people. Of course. And then of the course. Métis people are like, Oh, that's bad. Now he's talking to, like, the head guy who wants to get rid of us. Naturally. Bad communication. (laughs) Despite concerns being raised by influential men with knowledge of the situation in Red River, these were ignored in favor of annexation. Mm -hmm. The lands of the Hudson's Bay Company were transferred to Canada on the 1st of December, 1869, and McDougall was made the lieutenant, uh, lieutenant governor. Uh, Canada. I'm learning. Um... (laughs) Uh, And he was probably the worst pick for the job. Oh, great. Like, to him, that just signals to the Métis, like, oh, you don't give a shit. Yeah. Sorry for the cursing. (laughs) Don't apologize. (laughs) Don't apologize. The Métis knew they needed a strong leader in the face of this new political reality. Louis' experience leading up to this point made him an excellent candidate. This reality. (laughs) (laughs) But this will be our last episode of the Minute Women <laughs> Podcast. We apologize. <laughs> oh, that was that was just asking to happen. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was inevitable. So Louis is ambitious. He's well educated. He's bilingual, young, energetic. He's eloquent, deeply religious, and the bearer of a famous name. So he's really like the perfect package. Yeah, and most importantly, he is ready and willing to like lead this movement. Yeah. He's like, this is my time. So on October 11th, a group of Métis, including Louis, stopped the Red River Survey, and a week later, they formed a national committee. Ooh. On the tw- so this is this is the start of the the Red River resistance. He's or the making Red River rebellion. moves. <laughs> He's not just going to sit on his hands. Mm-hmm. He's ready. On the 25th of October, Louis was summoned to appear before the Council of the Assiniboi to explain his actions. He declared that the National Committee would prevent the entry of McDougall or any other governor unless the union with Canada was based on negotiations with the Métis and Mm -hmm. with the population in general. Okay. So that's their mission is that we'll only... I think they understand that union with either Canada or the United States is inevitable at this point. They just want to say. But yeah, they're like, we have a list of demands and we will be heard. That's fair. This did not stop McDougall from reaching the border of the village in Pembina and proceeding to the uh, Hudson's Bay Company Pembina post. Okay. So he's like, oh, whatever. I'm just going to keep going. 
Here, on November 2nd, McDougal was met by an armed Métis patrol and ordered to return to the United States. Oh, my gosh. At the same time, Louis, with 400 followers, took possession of Upper Fort Gary without a struggle. November of 1869 was intense for the Métis. Louis invited English-speaking inhabitants to elect 12 representatives from their parishes to attend a convention with the Métis representatives, and on the 1st of December, he proposed to this convention a list of rights to be demanded as condition of union. Okay. So on the same day as the Canada acquires Rupert's land, right. they are going to present these kind of demands, their petition. Much of the settlement came to accept the Métis point of view, but there was a passionate pro-Canadian minority that began organizing an opposition comprising of men like Schultz and McDougall. Okay. So for the most part, people within the community are like, either they don't care, or they're like, yeah, I'd like to be heard. (laughs) But there is a minority group that happens to be very influential and powerful. Okay. And they're just like union with Canada at any cost. Right. This pro-Canadian minority was then imprisoned on December 7th. Okay. So the <laughs> so Louis and the the his his crew, his gang, merry band of men. They're like we know who's part of this and we're going to rank like we're going to like collect them and imprison them. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's getting intense. That it's is, getting heated. That is heated. Um, on December 8th, Louis established the provisional government under the leadership of President John Bruce. Uh, so now Red River Settlement is like, we have like our own president. We have our own provisional government. Like this is a full on rebellion resistance. Wow. Situation. Okay. On our hands, which okay. is super cool. And like, I know people know what the Red River Rebellion is. Like, I think people have heard I know. of it, but it's like super interesting. This like, is interesting. This, this is, is like Star Wars stuff up yeah. in here. Rebellions. The, ex- and the creation of Canada was not peaceful. No. <laughs> no. Very violent. John A. MacDonald later admitted that under the circumstances, the people of the community had had to form a government for the protection of their life and property. Yeah. So in retrospect, he's like, oh, yeah, that's fine. It was good that they did that. Um, but yet in an alcoholic haze or because of urgent <laughs> political problems in Canada, he did not, in fact, fully realize at the time the state of affairs in, a, in the settlement. And Canadians generally seemed unconcerned. Is that like quoted from somewhere? An alcoholic yeah. haze? <laughs> yeah. I love that. <laughs> That's like, if someone asks me like, oh, like you said this to me or you like sent this text message, I'll be like, <laughs> Linnea was in an alcoholic haze. Uh, at the time? <laughs> yeah. I was in a uh, alcoholic haze. I like when you speak about your drunk self, it's in the third person. Oh, always. It's like, oh, Linnea was in an alcoholic she, uh, haze. She's a different... She's a different girl. It's a different beast. That one. (laughs) (laughs) So hearing of the unrest, Ottawa sent three emissaries to Red River, including the Hudson's Bay Company representative, Donald Alexander Smith. Okay. Meetings with Louis and the Ottawa delegation took place on the 5th and 6th of January, 1870. Okay. When these proved fruitless, Smith chose to present his case in a public forum. Yeah. Smith assured large audiences of the government's goodwill in meetings on the 19th and 20th of January, leading Louis to propose the formation of a new convention split evenly between French and English settlers to consider Smith's instructions. Uh-huh. So, you know, there's some olive branches going back and yeah. forth. We still have our guys imprisoned. Right. You know, there's still some hostilities, but of course. we're talking. Yep. On the 7th of February, a new list of rights was presented to the Ottawa delegation, and Smith and Louis agreed to send representatives to Ottawa to engage in direct negotiations on that basis. Mm -hmm. The socialist provisional government established by Louis Riel published its own newspaper titled New Nation. Mm. So like Le Nouveau Monde, and now we have New Nation. Oh, I like that. There's connections. (laughs) And estab- in your face. <laughs> and they established the Legislative Assembly of Assiniboine to pass laws. Wow, they're getting official. It's a government. Like, they have their own government. They and they're just like, doing this, it. Is, this is how it's going to work. Yep. The Legislative Assembly of Assiniboine was the first elected government at the Red River Settlement and functioned from the 9th of March to the 24th of June, 1870. Wow. The Assembly had 28 elected representatives, including a president, Louis Riel, an executive council, which is like their government cabinet, an adjunct 
uh, general, which would be like chief of military staff, uh, chief justice, and clerk. So it's a full-on parliament. This is wild. Yeah, and I, yeah, it's just like no one here, like, we don't talk about it, I think, especially in eastern Canada. We're just like, and then they expanded west. Also, that's just like so organized in such a short period of time. I know, I feel like governments can't do that now. I know. (laughs) Like, this is just, they were just like, oh, like, you're going to do this job and you're going to do this job and then everybody's going to, like, work together and it's going to be a democratic government and we're going to fight against what we don't like. Yeah, and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they just did it. It's so in line with things that are happening more globally. Like, Ugh, yeah. last week we talked a little bit about just, like, how the 1800s are really, really interesting and there's a lot of revolutions. Yep. Like, there's a model that they're working from, and you can see, like, yep. connections to the French Revolution and stuff. It's super cool to me. For Grace, a nerd. <laughs> I, I'm learning to love history. Oh, I am. That, that makes me really I happy. Am. That makes me really happy. Oh. <laughs> it makes my it makes me happy to understand why things are the way they are. Oh. I like it. Good. Thanks, Grace. <laughs> it makes me feel like I'm not keeping you hostage. You're not. Never. <laughs> so despite the apparent progress on the political front, the Canadian Party continued to plot against the provisional government. Schultz, Mayer, and Thomas Scott were determined to instigate civil war to eliminate Métis power. Mm-hmm. However, as outsiders, they misjudged the willingness of the country-born and Scottish settlers to oppose the Métis, which is ultimately, like, they're not Métis people, but I th- most of the time people just don't want to, like, mess up the status quo. Yeah. And they're like, everything was fine. I don't know why we're fighting all the time yeah. all of a sudden. I don't know why we're so angry. Yeah. And they don't really feel this allegiance to Canada or Ontario. Right. They're just like, everything was fine until you guys showed up. Right. Like, why would I fight for you? Right. I don't feel this, like, allegiance to either, like, Protestant kind of sentiments or, like, English language. Yeah. Like, yeah. Unfortunately, for all concerned, the three men had escaped from Upper Fort Gary Horse in January of 1870. So the people that they had imprisoned, um, Schultz, Mayer, and Thomas Scott, they managed to escape in January. Oh, no. Schultz had made his way downstream to drum up support for an armed force. So now he's in the U.S. Mayer and Scott had gone to Portage La Prairie, a Canadian settlement, to gain support as well. So they just escaped from prison and then just, like, moved on with their lives? Well, they're going elsewhere to, like, get militias and come back and take Fort Gary Horse. Right, okay. Or Fort Gary. I always want to say Fort Gary Horse because that was the name of the military group that we talk about in uh, the Winnie the Pooh episode. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And that was the first time I had had ever heard of it called that. So I was like, yeah, Fort Gary Horse is not the name of the place. Anyways, Upper Fort Gary. Yes. So Scott retailed horror stories of his imprisonment. At Portage, a force was assembled with the objective of joining Schultz's party in what's now part of Winnipeg. The ostensible reason for action was to free the Canadian prisoners that were left behind at Fort Gary. Okay. Um, So that's what they're saying their objective is. It's not to overthrow the government. It's to free political prisoners. Right. The last prisoners were released on the 15th of February, but this really didn't have an effect on Schultz, Mayer, and Scott because their real purpose is to overthrow the provisional government. The port- casual. <laughs> casual. Overthrow the government. Oh, you know, a coup. <laughs> <laughs> what are your plans for this weekend? Mm, I think I might topple a government. Oh. Does that sound good? Can I join? Yeah, we can get brunch afterwards. Yeah. Okay, cool. So... They're going to attack, but then the Portage Party decides that they're going to return home. Okay. So I, I don't know exactly, like, if they were just like, oh, we're going to wait for another day, or they're, like, losing support. So they're just kind of like, uh, it's not worth our time. Yeah. Um, but they marched a body close to Fort Gary instead of dispersing to make their way west. Okay. So news of the expedition had caused intense excitement in Fort Gary, and every available man was called to defend the fort. So oh, you're, like, jeepers. walking close enough to the fort that they're like, hey, uh, you think you should be concerned about those guys with guns? And they're like, um, yeah, call, start the phone tree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's like, get the bugles. Yeah. <laughs> when the armed portage party approached the fort on the 17th of February, a small force of some 50 men arrested the 48 Canadians, including Thomas Scott, and took them into the recently vacated sale, uh, cells in Fort Gary. Hmm. Schultz, realizing that he's now a marked man, left for Ontario. Yeah. So they're like, we're going to arrest you even though you're not attacking. But it's because they were going to. 
Yeah. So we're going to bring you into the prisons. Duh. We just released all the prisoners you wanted us to release. But yeah. now you're, I guess, going to still attack us. So, so we're going to put you guys in prison. Let's go to jail now. So Louis correctly believed that it was the Canadians who were responsible for the turbulence in the settlement. Okay. They had twice resorted to force to try and overthrow him. Right. One of them needed to be punished, and Charles Bolton, the militia captain, was condemned to death. So there's a trial, and he's condemned to death. A number of... Whoa. This is big stuff. This is what happens when there are revolutions and coups and stuff. I like it. Anyways. Did you know coups are also cows? What? There's a type of cow called a coo. They're the ones that oh. have like bangs in their face. <laughs> like they've got the hair all over them. They're really cute. Guys, um, this this stuff is fun, but I thought we were doing cows. <laughs> I thought this was a cow weekend. When you said coos, I thought we were going to be talking about the cow. I thought this was um, going to be a cow uh, thing. I don't know how to fire a gun. <laughs> I think I have to go home. I don't I don't think we'll cut out for this. Can <laughs> we get back to the farm? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's what I told them. I thought I was coming to hang out with you. <laughs> I know it there were guns. <laughs> My best friend. <laughs> okay. Okay. Anyways, so, not the coup we're talking condemned about. Condemned to death. Dun yes. dun dun dun. Okay. <laughs> Murder. Murder. We're getting back on our murder shit for episode 30. So Charles Bolton, militia captain for the Canadians, he's been condemned to death. A number of people uh, appealed for clemency, so they don't want him to be killed. And Louis only relented when he obtained a promise from Smith to persuade the English parishes to elect representatives, which means they're legitimizing the provisional government. It's like, we won't kill this guy, but you have to legitimize you have to play our game yeah you have to legitimize what you we're have to doing play along so now bolton's been pardoned okay thomas scott regarding the pardon as a sign of weakness proceeded to insult his metis guards so he's in prison he's insulting his guards who became so angry that they would have given him a severe beating had louis not intervened so louis's like okay like I know this guy is super annoying, but like a it's jerk. a really bad look if you beat this guy up. Yeah, don't do it. And he warned Scott, like, you have to behave. Please. <laughs> like, please. Just, like, please stop. An ignorant and bigoted young man with a profound contempt Ugh. for all mixed bloods, quote unquote. Oh, God. Scott thought that the Métis were cowards. He was just like, they pardon this guy. I can I can do whatever I want because no. they're not going to do anything about it. No, 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 no. When he continued to make difficulties, the guards insisted that he would be tried by court-martial and he was charged with insubordination. Oh, jeepers. And Scott was then sentenced to death. <gasps> so it's literally like this guy is so annoying yeah. that they're going, he's sentenced to death. On this occasion, the appeals of Smith and others were firmly rejected by Louis. So he's yeah. like, this time, no, 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 no. He said, I warned you. I asked you nicely. It's like, I already played the game. So as he said, quote, I have done three good things since I have commenced. So commenced the provincial government. Yeah. I have spared Bolton's life at your insistence. I pardoned Gaddy, who was another Canadian. And now I will shoot Scott. (laughs) Those are the three good things that he's done. (laughs) I'm like, ooh, that's a good quote. Ooh. Whether he was worried by the signs of insubordination among his followers, whether he persuaded himself that the settlement was in danger, or whether he just thought it was necessary to intimidate the Canadian conspirators and show Canada that the Métis and their government should be taken seriously, will always be debated. So we don't know exactly why he chose to do this. Right. But Scott was executed by firing squad on March 4th, 1870. How'd they do it? Firing squad. Firing squad. I think I'd rather that than hanging... Yeah, it's definitely faster. It's definitely more. Do you know why they do firing squads? No. So, um, so you can't commit murder, but firing squad, you don't know who, who killed who him. Shot you? Yeah. yeah. So m- morally and from like a legal code standpoint, you can't say which person killed him. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Which is definitely like an old style of law, and by today's standards, you know if. Both you and your friend shoot a guy. Interesting. <laughs> you don't get off scot-free. Um, but it is from, I think it's, it's, I don't know if it has kind of its seat in religion or if it's mm. just more 
uh, a more archaic form yeah. legal code. But yeah. Well, and I don't I don't know for sure, but I know I read at some point that there's some states I believe that uh, have the death penalty where you can choose what you want still today. Like nation states or the United States? Uh, I think in the United States. Oh, okay, yeah. I think there are a few select states of the United States where you could, because in Canada we don't have the death penalty no. at all. Um, but in America there are still several states that do. And I think that you can choose. Most people just go with... Um, lethal injection? Lethal injection. I've heard scary things about I've also injection, heard scary though. things. Um, most people just go with lethal injection because it like... It just, like, puts you to sleep, and then it's, like, when you put down a dog, like, it's pretty much the same yeah. process. Yeah. Uh, whereas you can actually choose in some places, I think, to still have the chair or still have, like, firing squad or hanging. If Interesting. You, if you choose. I know in France, the last time someone was guillotined was the same year that um, Star Wars A New Hope came out. Like the oh. 70s was the last time someone oh, was guillotined. I don't like that. That's not nice yeah. to think about. But it's interesting because like... Guillotine. The, yeah, when the guillotine came Ew. out, that was like the most humane way of killing someone. It was just like, isn't it's so much more humane than hanging someone, which I think it is. In some ways, it's just extremely graphic. It's sudden. Yeah. yeah it's done. Like, and it's like firing squad. It's like... And my it's, th- you don't mess it up. It's really hard to mess up uh, a guillotine because you just set it up and pull like a, a lever. Oof. Yeah. I'm trying to... The, I, uh, French Revolution's super cool. Anyways, murder. Yeah. Um, state-sanctioned murder. <laughs> so uh, he... Death by firing squad. He's Death dead. by firing squad. Thomas Scott, most annoying man in all of the West, <laughs> is dead. <laughs> dead. In the settlement, the death of Scott was soon forgotten. So, like, <laughs> within... Within Red River, it's just like, okay, we killed a political prisoner. Over it. That happens. But in Ontario, this was, like... This murder, quote unquote, uh, was a huge issue. Right. And so Scott becomes this figurehead for a pro-Canadian movement. Protestant Canada took notice. Uh, they swore revenge and they set yeah. up a Canada first movement to mobilize their anger, which is like literally Canada's mega. Right. It's just this nationalist, expansionist, colonial movement of white people. Right. The movement secured the editorial support of most Toronto newspapers. Interesting. So that's the other like line that you tread is that Ontario is very anti-Riel and Quebec is very pro-Riel. Right. Purely based on religion and language. Right. Because he has access to the French language newspapers, whereas a lot of the Canada First people don't. Yeah. They also planned meetings to be addressed by Schultz and Mayer throughout the province. The appeal was anti-French, it was anti-Catholic, and to some extent anti-McDonald for receiving a delegation representing the murderers of the, quote, heroic Thomas Scott. Okay. So. Who was actually just a wiener. Yeah, he's just, it's not that, like, I think he deserved to die. That's a better word, a wanker. He's a wanker. He's a whiny little wanker. (laughs) It's not that I think Thomas Scott deserved to die, it's just that, like, but that's he's not through. the hero you want. Yeah, he's not the hero you think he is. No, and they it was also to be one. government follow through. Like you did this, and I let you like off, yeah. and I told you what you had to do. All you had to do was just shut your mouth, and yeah. you couldn't do that. And so to like show my people that I'm governing that this is legit and this is how stuff works. Like yeah, that was the natural progress of things, and you just couldn't keep your mouth shut. Yeah, and and he's like, I've been giving you rope and rope and rope and rope, and now my followers are starting to question my leadership because I'm being so lenient. And And it's like, and now, no more. We're done. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. So the delegates representing the provisional government departed for Ottawa in March. Although they initially met with, were met with legal difficulties arising from the execution of Scott, they soon entered into direct talks with MacDonald and Georges-Étienne Cartier. We'll do an episode at some point because I'm pretty sure he has a heritage minute. Yeah, he does. I think so. An agreement enshrining the demands in lists of rights was quickly reached, and this formed the basis for the Manitoba Act on the 12th of May, 1870, which formally admitted Manitoba into the Canadian Confederation. Okay. Provincial status was uh, granted to Manitoba, which was the name that Louis favored, so he wanted to call it Manitoba. Big deal. 
although McDonald and Cartier succeeded in limiting the size of the province to just about a thousand square miles and not the entire Northwest. So right. if you look at the first maps with Manitoba, it's just this dinky little square. Oh, really? Even though Manitoba, I think, is like the third largest province now. Yeah. Maybe. Something like maybe that. Maybe fourth. But yeah, it's just this tiny little square. And it's literally just like Red River and like oh. uh, Winnipeg. It's this <laughs> tiny little thing. <laughs> Provincial control of natural resources, including all lands, was denied. But after hard bargaining... 1,400,000 acres in the Northwest were set aside for the Métis as a compromise. Cool. Um, bilingualism was recognized in the proceedings of the court, the legislature, and in government publications. However, the negotiators could not secure a general amnesty for the provincial government. This all sounds promising, though. Yeah, so like yeah. he's achieving a lot of what he wanted to achieve. Right. But the government's like, you're still revolutionaries, and we're never going to be able to give you yeah. amnesty. Like, you, we're yeah. never just going to be able to brush this under the rug. Right. The pro-Canada movement's never going to let us do that. Throughout the negotiations and in the early summer, Louis had grown uneasy about uh, the deterioration of his support. Okay. Some Métis, mostly established farmers and traders, had never actually accepted his leadership and regarded him as an upstart. Yeah. Another group, um, whom Professor William Morton notes, quote, alternately supported and then opposed him. Okay. So he, he, it's not fully like all Métis people support Louis Riel. Right. This was a St. Boniface elite whose members are to be distinguished from the hunters and unemployed tripmen among whom Louis drew his strongest support. Okay. So he gets most support from like the lower classes. Right. At the same time, Louis was concerned about the weakening of the always fragile relationship between the French and the English-speaking settlers within the settlement. Right. So there's also a lot of factors that are creating uncertainty for him. Yeah. As a means of exercising Canadian authority in the settlement and dissuading American expansionists, a Canadian military expedition under Colonel Garnett Woolsey... Woolsey. Woolsey. ...was dispatched to Red River. The arrival of the expedition on the 20th of August marked the effective end of the Red River resistance. Okay. Although the government described it as an errand of peace, on the 24th of August, Louis learned that soldiers were planning to lynch him. Oh, God. So you have provincial status now. Right. And you have this provincial government in place. I believe that the provisional government just hadn't been reelected yet. Yeah. But Louis's like, I don't have any protections. Right. So anything could happen to me. Right. Without amnesty, he vacated Upper Fort Gary a few hours ahead of them. Oh. Quote, no matter what happens now, the rights of the Métis are assured by the Manitoba Bill. It is what I wanted. My mission yeah. is finished. Oh. Louis then proceeded to his home in nearby St. Vital, where his mother lived, but growing more apprehensive about his safety, he took refuge at St. Joseph's Mission, which was about 10 miles south of the Dakota border. Okay. And Louis Riel is now officially in exile. And that is officially the end of part one of the Louis Riel episode. There was just too much. That is such a, that is the dumbed down version of everything that happened. You can't do me like that. (laughs) Me and the listeners. Yeah, so for 30th episode, we're going to do a part two on Louis Riel. Oh my gosh, this is a lot. So we'll pick up with him in exile and his eventual return. Yeah, because I mean, at the end of that, like, that story is like, oh, that's why he's so important yeah. to the Métis. But yeah. it doesn't explain why he's hanged. No. So it's all very exciting. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I was, I did not, I did not think you were going to, like, end there. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a good place to finish off. Yeah. Exile. Yeah. Whew. So essentially, he's like, even though he's achieved what he wants to achieve, he can't have any security. Yeah. In Canada. And so he leaves. He flees to the United States. And oh now he's like, a, he's a political exile. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. <laughs> You'll have, everyone will have to tune in next week. Yes. From when we, we drop the second half on yeah. Louis Real. Yeah. Cool dude. Cool guy. Cool guy. In exile right now. In exile. What happens next? I don't know. Grace does, but I mean, I don't. we know he dies. Yeah. But that's all we got. But eventually. It gets wacky. Because the back half, worse. the back half gets weird. <laughs> I think Wacky, like, yeah. weird, and worse. 
the Minute Women podcast. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was great. Thank You're you. great. You're great. <laughs> Happy 30th episode. Happy 30th episode, buddy. Yeah, so if you aren't already following us on all our social media channels, what are you doing with your life? Seriously. Uh, we are on Instagram at Minute Women Podcast and Facebook by the same name. And then we are on Twitter, the tweeter, at uh, at the Minute Women. Po- uh, no, just at the Minute Women. Yeah, yes. nailed it. Uh, and then we also have a really beautiful, great website, which has all of our episodes and information about Grace and I and the podcast in general and links to all the social media sites I told you about. And that's at www.minutewomenpodcast.ca. So please check it out. Yeah, and make sure you subscribe to the podcast and you can turn on notifications and auto-download our episodes so you never miss out on anything. You want to stay tuned for next week because you got to know how this Louis Riel epic ends. Uh, I need to know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you could just go on Wikipedia, but why would you want to do that when you can listen to us talk about it? Make sure that you review the podcast if that is something that is available to you on your platform. I'm talking to you, Apple Podcast users. Thank you to everybody who has left a review. Um, But it would mean a lot if you would just take five seconds to give us like a star rating and then leave us a little review and let us know what you think. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks so much. See you next week. Bye. (laughs) 